Hey Dan Talks listeners, welcome to another episode of Dan Talks. This week I'm talking to Katrina Stroll, who is a psychological safety consultant, boundaries strategist, mental health advocate, and podcast host of the podcast Absolutely Not. Katrina served as an aviation structural mechanic in the U.S. Navy and in 2018 decided to take their own life after internalizing the behavior of an unsafe workplace. They now serve others through their work in psychological safety, mental health, and boundary strategy for people who share their identities or their lived experiences. This work includes Absolutely Not, the weekly live podcast dedicated to providing examples of setting personal boundaries at work and the vocabulary needed to name harm in those spaces. I was so excited that Katrina agreed to come on Dan Talks. I feel like they have so much knowledge to drop. And without further ado, I hand it over to Katrina Stroll. Katrina, it's so nice to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on Dan Talks. Yay, I'm excited. I um, I listened to some of your episodes and I hope I'm as exciting as the rest of your guests. <laughs> I, I have no doubts about that. Um, Yay. I saw a post on your LinkedIn, which has 11,000 followers on LinkedIn. Very popular. Um, I'll say it so you don't <laughs> have to. Um, and you, you posted and said that when you do speaking engagements, you always start by saying the same thing about the lenses. Can you say, can you share that? Yes. Hi, my name is Katrina Stroll. My pronouns are they, she, he. I am Black Samoan and queer. And through those lenses, we'll be talking about anything we want to on the show today. Now, have you said that before? Yes. <laughs> um, I think that's so smart because so many people just sort of, especially if they're talking to a new group, they sort of think everything that you um, can judge from a person at face value is sort of like a given or, or whatever. But for someone to say, like, this is who I am, this is what you can maybe see, this is what you can't see, but this is where I'm coming from, I think such a powerful way to begin a conversation. Can you talk about how you decided to start doing that? Mm. Mostly because of the work that I do, psychological safety and mental health and boundary strategy is heavily dominated by white women specifically, and sometimes white men. Yes. And so when I go into spaces and I talk about psychological safety through the lens of blackness or queerness, they're like, are you sure? Like, that's not, that wasn't in a textbook. I'm like, I'm, of course it wasn't Kelly or Kathy. Cause you wrote it. <laughs> um, talk more about what Kelly and Kathy don't understand. Um, so Kelly and Kathy, most of the time they assume <laughs> Most of the time, they we all know them. We all know them. We all know them. Most of the time, they assume that we've all had the same experiences. Like we all went to Ivy League colleges. We all had money our entire life. Why don't your parents have two yachts? Like I just don't understand why you lived in poverty. Well, Kelly and Kathy, because there are several people who have been marginalized for centuries, and through me sharing my lenses with them, they can kind of be like, "Oh wow, I'm not black and queer." And should they not accept that when I? inject it into the conversation that's on them that's on them but I will be injecting it throughout the discussion that we have moving forward Mm -hmm. talk about how um I'm thinking about boundaries and how who can afford to set boundaries (gasps) it's not who can afford because every person on the planet should be able to has the right to have autonomy over their own body and their own premise and their mental health and everything surrounding them. Like the first breath that you gave is enough. You don't need to earn no more. 
but it's who's been given the power to be able to enact them in all the spaces that they're in. So for instance, I have interchangeable pronouns. And when people don't interchange them or roll them, I let them know, hey, you didn't roll my pronouns in that, or you wrote three different sentences and used the same pronoun, or I see that you've been using she a lot in this conversation. Is there a reason you're not rolling them? When a person who is in a position of power says, I don't care about your pronouns or I don't care about your identities, that's when we get, we kind of internalize, oh, it must not be important. It must not be important for people to respect me and all of the identities I'm bringing. Um, news flash or news report, it is important and you deserve to be respected in any space that you're in. Talk to me about rolling pronouns and why they are important. So they're important to me specifically because I identify as gender queer and gender fluid. So next to the word queer for a lot of people is like a parenthesis that says like what we are under the umbrella of queer. So I, I have a really, or I can't even say friend, I ain't put a label on it yet, but I have a, a connection on LinkedIn who identifies as gay and queer. And they're very specific about it. And they say it in all spaces. And just like for me, for my gender fluid and gender queerness, if you're not rolling my pronouns, then you're not respecting the sub identity of the identity that I just brought into the space with you. And that's what people need to understand is we're multifaceted as hell. We're fluid as hell to begin with. So I'm just sharing a little bit with you. You're going to have to learn more about me. Speaking about multifacetization <laughs> <laughs> and fluidness, can you talk about what pride has become and what it feels like? Oh my gosh, that's such a loaded, not a loaded question. What has multifaceted, it has, it, it feels like a money grab for me. Like for pride, for me, it is constantly giving me the opportunity to be something new every year if I fucking want to be, you know what I mean? Like they coming out with words that I didn't have when I realized, oh, wow, I'm not straight or I'm not whatever they wanted me. This box is too small. There are so many boxes now. And that's what pride is meant to be like, be everything, be fluid, be on the spectrum, be any word that's not out there yet. Be that, be that a hundred percent. But um, corporations, man, I've seen them this year. They Did you see the Burger King one? Can I share what I think it yeah. was? And then you confirm if this is what I if what you're thinking about. I think it's an advertisement for a Whopper and they have two Whoppers and they have one with, <laughs> you know it, one of them has both top buns on the top and bottom and one has like the bottom bun on the top and bottom. And it's like, like have it your way or whatever they said. And, and what, what is, what is that? Like, I'm, I'm so baffled at what, what do you mean? Yeah. By in, this? in the meantime, over here at the LGBT community, it's like two pounds would never be together. <laughs> like if it's, it looks like you overheard a conversation, like you overheard someone say top and bottom, you're like, Ooh, write that down. They did a word map. They did a word map of L things going down yes! at the LGBTQ community. And they're like, top and bottom is a thing. We have top and bottom buns. Let's, let's queer it up. Look how, like, and look how desperate y'all look for, like, the queer dollar. Like, we don't even have money. Like, why? Does, <laughs> does any, uh, <laughs> does any part of you feel, I, there's part of, I'll claim this. I feel a little bit delighted at the corporate um, sort of, like, 
I like I want to be a fly on the wall for those meetings don't you mm, I do and I mean and you should be invited and paid to speak at the meetings <laughs> to be honest and there are so many and they're creating so many examples of the injustices and just like just so much inequity in all those spaces like I know you didn't have one of me or you in the room like I know you didn't or else you wouldn't have a top and like it's just so ridiculous and it just creates a stronger community for queer people because now we're laughing at y'all and we probably won't spend our money there right right I mean the, my uh, I want to get off of corporate pride because it's a little <laughs> bit like okay um but when I went to the pride parade in New York for the first time I remember they you know all the TD bank and whatever um there was one year that I marched because the guy I was seeing at the time was worked for um Morgan Stanley and I marched with Morgan Stanley most shameful moment of my life in that pride parade with Morgan Stanley float but whatever um diet coke not coke the big stand was of diet coke and I'm like you are reading the gays right now (laughs) like not even full fat coke like diet coke because oh yeah (laughs) and that's sad like that is sad like if that's what you see when you see the court, then you don't see me because baby, I have never tried that. Full red can. Oh my gosh. That's, that is disgusting. And when was that? 2000? I'm sure it's this year too. It's every year. <laughs> it's Diet Coke. I'm telling you. Wow. Keep bringing that harmful stereotype, stereotypical. It's 2022. Like what? Oh, great. Um, well, let's get back to you. So I'm so interested in your story and how you started. Absolutely not. Um, you were an aviation structural mechanic in the U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you smile when I say that. Tell me about what, um, because there, it was also a destructive influence in your life. So tell me about sort of those feelings, like how you feel about that job or that, like that career. Um, so the military is, I mean, y'all know, y'all don't ask, don't tell a whole bunch of stuff. And also super duper, they are, they are OG performative. Like before everybody else was performative, the military has been performative since time. Like, ugh. and so while I mean? was in, oh, sorry, they have, they do big things. They do really big things saying like, oh, we're diverse as hell. Like everyone can join the military. Mm -hmm. But what they don't talk about is the structures and the policies that are in place in the military that would never allow someone like me to get up the ranks. Everyone up the ranks looks exactly the same. They look like somebody's old grandpa, slave owner, dead somewhere. And so your diversity and equity begins at the bottom and stays at the bottom. And it's, I mean, that's why so many people like me leave the military and we just talk shit about it until we die. (laughs) Um, Talk about what some of those um, structural barriers are, like how they actually present themselves to you Mm -hmm. like every day or like you're there for six months and then something like what is what are some of the things that you're talking about? Mm. So even for like from the black lens, like it wasn't until 2016 that they allowed black women to change the styles of their hair. So many sailors and soldiers. Yeah. (laughs) And so many sailors and soldiers were kicked out of the military for having locks, for having braids, for just having any hairstyle other than a slick back bun. And the only people that could have a slick back bun is people with straight men. Kelly and Kathy. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Kelly and Kathy. Hey, y'all, if you're still listening. But, um, and then another, um, another 
sorry, policy that was like retracted was the transgender um, healthcare policy update that was created through the Obama administration and then was kind of taken away later on. I don't even say the name, but um, it was just redacted like, okay, never mind. Y'all can just, if you're in the middle of transition, stay how you are right now. And that's another thing. They have two different types of uniform, just men's and women's. Nobody's allowed to wear it differently. There's no fluidity. There's no spectrum. And for anybody who's a leader in an organization um, who's trying to bring equity or inclusion or belonging into the place, if you don't have multiple options for one type of living, like any type of living, then there's no way that you're equitable or inclusive or creating belonging for people. Because there's not only Kelly and Kathy or Chad or Brad or whoever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different other people's Katrina right here. Mm-hmm. Now, and so you were there how many years? Eight years. Eight years. Wow. And so 2010 to 2018. Um, 2011 to 2019. 2019. Okay. So mm-hmm. because I saw on your website in 2018, you attempted to take your own life mm-hmm. and decided to leave the military. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that tipping point. Um, so that was, and I was in an organization who was completely unsafe and constantly berated me with harassment and just psychological abuse on a daily basis. They kept track of where I was, my emotions. If I was happy in the office later on, they'd be like, oh, you can't possibly have mental health conditions because you were happy on Tuesday at 1 p.m. We saw you. So it was just an awful experience for me and they decided I couldn't be a part of that organization. At that time, I wasn't really in the military. I was working with uh, civilian contractors and was kind of still in the military, but it was still half and half. And I was able to see both sides of the civilian sector and how they treated government employees and how they treated the military. And I was like, okay, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I really cannot be abused or in an unsafe environment for as long as I've been in or any longer. And can you talk about um, your because you say that you took your own life on your mm. website and I, and I haven't, hadn't seen it put that way before for someone who is still living. Mm. Can you talk about why you put it that way? Um, so I did take my own life. I attempted suicide and um, I was hospitalized because of those multiple attempts. Mm. And I want, I love saying, well, I don't love saying, but I always say multiple attempts because usually if somebody self harms, it's 55% like, percent more likely that they're going to self-harm again or they're going it's going to get worse if they don't seek treatment or get help mm-hmm. um so I say took my own life because I did um when people say attempt they're they're kind of dismissing the severity of what occurred when they say like oh but you didn't die like <laughs> you're still here today or if they say something well thank god you're still here today like they're dismissing everything that I went through and the fact that I actually went through with it can you talk if you're comfortable talk about what made you take your own life multiple times and then what has kept you from Mm. and that's why I'm so big into boundaries now like that's another big um pillar of my work is because I tied so much of my worth to my work and so once my work, people that I worked with or that were leaders in my organization started telling me like, you're not doing enough or you're faking your conditions. I just immediately internalized all of it. and was like, wow, if I cannot do good here, 
then I'm probably not a good person. I don't deserve to continue living. I don't deserve safety elsewhere. There's probably nothing else that I can get from this world or this life because they have told me otherwise. Um, Are you okay? <laughs> yes, I'm just internal. I mean, it's such a, I'm inspired by how you have, I mean, I'm thinking about the words taking your own life. I mean, in one sense, they mean attempting or, you know, ending your life. But in another sense, you have really taken control of your life mm-hmm. since that period. Can you talk about, you must have felt so, um, well, you, you obviously know more than me, but I imagine that you felt like there was no other way, there was no way out. And now mm-hmm. you're, you know, you've built a whole life for yourself. So can you talk about sort of the internal resources that that took and did you think you had them? Mm, I love that you used the word resources because now that I think back at it, there were just no resources for anyone like me. They were very much catering to specific demographics, white, straight men, cisgendered men who wanted to live out a certain life. Like the, um, the separation process from the military caters to people who want to continue to work for the government who want to continue to do that type of work. And I, I mean, at us after the tipping point, I was like, I want nothing to do with this. I want to um, advocate for other people. I want to advocate for myself. And so the ability to kind of say that aloud to myself and recognize that, oh, y'all are only, only catering to this lifestyle or to these life choices I have to go. I have to find resources elsewhere. And that's what led me actually to creating Absolutely Nice because I was in therapy for four years before I heard of the term boundaries. And I didn't hear about it until I got my first Black female therapist. And she was the first person. I had only had white practitioners before. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's how many biases are in so many systems, are in so many. They just saw all Black big, oh, um, queer person and was like, oh no, you need to calm down. Like you don't need to set boundaries. You don't need to advocate for yourself more. You just need to calm down and take more medication and go to therapy weekly instead of bi-weekly. And until I had a black female therapist, then she was like, you need to advocate for yourself. You need to tell people that you're being harmed. And it breaks my heart that therapy is so inaccessible in this country, that there are so many people that share my identities or my lived experience that are unaware of just this simple, these simple facts that we've talked about today. Um, absolutely not your podcast. What, I mean, I have several ideas, but what are you saying absolutely not to? Um, all types of harm, just all types of harm, all types of discrimination, all types of living that does not align with what we hold dear to us. What you said you hadn't heard of boundaries in the four years of being in therapy, which to me sounds like um, a, a, a clear mistake on their part, because that is such a fundamental sort of tenant <laughs> of it. I, I feel like healthy therapy. Um, what did, what was your first explanation? Do you remember your when it was first explained to you what boundaries were? Um, what did you, oh, it's, I use this analogy a lot when I speak to um, corporate clients is an open gate. So if you leave your gate open, anybody can walk into your front yard, anybody can walk in or your front door open. Some people can walk in, eat your sandwiches, eat your chips, do whatever they want. They can poop in your living room. 
But if you close your front door and you lock it and you utilize your peephole or you utilize um, whatever you had or you ask questions before you let people in your house, then you can create boundaries as to who gets to come in your house, who gets to shit in your living room, who gets to lie in your bed, if that's what you're into. No kink shame in here. But um, yeah. (laughs) It is pride after all. (laughs) But these are the boundaries that nobody ever taught me. I was taught, especially through my lenses in the Black community, in the Samoan community, like let everybody in. Everybody gets every piece of you. You are in servitude to anyone who comes to your front door. And that's just not the case. It's not healthy. Did you, um, did that make you feel separated from your community somehow? Oh my gosh. And it helped so much because it came from a black woman. If a white woman had told me that, I would have been like, okay, that's white people shit. Like, so I guess it, it was helpful that she told me that. And which is another grounding point for absolutely not. There are so many people who don't look like me, share my identities or my lived experiences who are talking about boundaries. And it's from a Kathy and a Kelly. And I'm like, okay, Kathy and Kelly, I see you. You weigh like 60 pounds and you're doing yoga or whatever you're doing, talking about boundaries. But I can't internalize that because you don't look like me and you don't share the same experience I've had. But it coming from a Black female who knew exactly what I was talking about, who knew exactly the type of people who touch my hair without permission, who knew exactly about the type of people who say, oh, where are you really from? Those types of examples is what I needed to be able to internalize the messaging of boundaries. And I hope to share that with other people. Makes you think about all the boundaries that I, I mean, I've been in therapy as well and sort of had to establish my own and learn about them. But I think about the ones that are given to me as a given mm. and the ones that aren't given to insert minority identity here. And there's more labor involved when you have fewer boundaries that are given to you as you know part of the standard package like don't Mm. touch my hair for example don't ask me where I'm really from for example can you talk about how like like that just sounds like a lot more work Mm. it's so much more work which is why one of the biggest boundaries I know you talked about LinkedIn and like the followers I have on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and I post almost every day on LinkedIn and there will always be people in the comments who ask for extra labor kind of one of the biggest boundaries I have for those LinkedIn posts is I will not do on the spot education if people ask me a question in the comments depending on how I'm feeling but most of the time I'm like I'm not working more than I'd be working on LinkedIn Um, it usually I have a template that usually says like thank you so much for your support if you'd like to book a paid consultation you can visit my website at www.katrinastroll.com and that's kind of what I bring into my real world now as well so if I share a boundary with people and say hey please don't touch my hair without my permission I truly appreciate it and they ask for more validation or they ask for like more information on why they can't touch my hair first of all that's you showing a lot of colors and secondly I know internally that I don't have to provide the education because that's too much work. Y'all don't even pay me enough to be here in the first place. (laughs) We talk about, this is sort of related, the difference between setting boundaries at work versus in your personal life. If there's any. Yeah, so so much difference. And that's why I absolutely not. It's like catered to work because Mm -hmm. we know that work is tied heavily to survival. Like we live in a capitalist society where if you don't have money, bills don't get paid, then you don't get food, then you don't. And it's just a reoccurring cycle. So a lot of people are afraid to set boundaries at work because they are fearful of losing their job. 
first of all, if that fear arises as soon as you hear about setting boundaries at work, then I mean, you've already defined what type of work environment you are in. They do not prioritize your safety. They do not prioritize respecting you. They do not prioritize your mental health and well-being. But secondly, I want people to understand that they're not really that different. These relationships take place in your personal life. They take place, they just have different titles. And your ability to understand that and mesh that together as one whole life one whole being that you are, bringing those lenses into all spaces like we talked about before is what's going to take you to the next level of prioritizing your mental health and wellness and going to keep you from being hospitalized for trying to take your own life. Mm -hmm. This is making me think about, well, my question is, I'm currently interviewing for companies to, you know, get a full-time job. Mm. I just graduated from grad school. And I sort of have this sense of, I need to be, have as few boundaries as possible. And then once I'm there, I can like show my value and then I can earn the right to sort of establish boundaries. Can you talk about the timing of boundary establishment? Hmm. And you said the word earn. What did we talk about earlier? Earning first breath. Stuff. I know first. Yeah. Not yes, earn. Okay. <laughs> The truth is I'm working on it now. This was very much, I just turned 30, very in twenties, very, you know, grateful for the job. We'll do anything. Text mm-hmm. me, call me, call me, beat me. If you want to reach me now, mm-hmm. it's much, I'm, I'm looking for more of a, a sustainable life for myself and meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's the important thing. And the important thing about this process is to have it with you all the time. So one of the biggest things I interview too, I work part-time sometimes I mm-hmm. consult with clients and when I'm interviewing with them, I have that junk written down in front of me and laid out. So even if I wanted to skew from the script, honey, that script is right in front of you. Read it aloud. My values are, I, my identities are, I would like to be respected in this way what kind of benefits do y'all have? What does the salary range? And if they're not able to provide that at the beginning of a relationship, just like, are you a top or a bottom? Are you in <laughs> the same script? If you're not able to provide that information, if they say, oh, I don't know, maybe I know already. I can answer these questions for you should you ask me. And that reciprocity is what leads us into healthier relationships So if you have a script written down for you, it'll be easier to expect that script from the person you're moving into a relationship with, whether it be an organization or a client or Mm -hmm. a new boo thing. Mm -hmm. You just have to have your script written down in front of you. And some of the things written on your script could be the questions that I just talked about. But one of the biggest things is your values. What do you value the most? Mm -hmm. When you are working with a corporate client, what lets you know that there's going to be some transformative work that happens and what lets you know there's not? Oh my gosh. One of the biggest things is when I share, then that's why I use the same introduction. So I have a lot of corporate clients that clients that when I share my introduction about myself or what I've been through, I can see their reactions, especially around suicide or mental health or my mental health conditions or my lenses or being gender fluid and gender queer. And once I get those reactions, I'm like, hey, I did notice, this is the emotional intelligence part, I did notice that you cringed uh, when I said my pronouns. Could you share a little bit about how my pronouns make you feel? And if it goes anything other than, oh, I just am unfamiliar with that, or could you share more about it? If it goes all the way left, oh, great, we're not going to be able to work together because that's way too much labor, it sounds like. You could not pay me enough 
to kind of change your entire thinking on what it means to be me. What about boundaries are you still working on? I would say the fact that, so we talked about that script. Um, I would say the fact that that script can change tomorrow. It can change in five minutes. And that I live with ADHD and that makes me so sad and frustrated. Like I, I could change in the next five minutes and I would have to scribble it out. And for me, that means typing it up again and printing it back out and make sure it's color coordinated. But that's for me. But just accepting that in myself and not beating myself down for my new changes or my new growth or new information that I learn about myself is something I'm still working on daily. Um, this is one of, I have this question, then one more for you. We talk, we, we, well, we've talked a lot and I think both you and I, you more than me, I mean, it's part of your work, capital W, but it's part of my work, lowercase w, about how to set boundaries and sort of protect your peace. Um, so we think about it a lot from our perspective. What about when you are on the receiving end of someone else's boundary that you maybe don't understand or mm -hmm. don't agree with, not that, I mean, it's not your story or not, but something that doesn't, that lands odd with you when someone else sets a boundary, what, what does that sort of call forth for you? Or what is the work there as someone on the receiving end? So the biggest thing about boundaries or receiving them is one gratitude, like mm -hmm. being gracious that that person wants to share their boundaries with you in order to keep the relationship intact. Cause they definitely could have ghosted your ass and left but they wanted to share something very specific to them so that you could maintain that relationship together. And then two is decentering. So if someone shares, Hey, please don't touch my hair without permission, or please use the correct pronouns when speaking about me. And you say, Oh, this is an attack on me. You would never, you are centering yourself in their life. They have a life to live. And then it is a duty to themselves to keep themselves safe. So once again, them communicating with you their needs or how to keep themselves safe in your presence is something is something to be grateful about and not hateful about. What is your dream for the future? Oh my gosh, what does that mean? <laughs> my dream for the future is that more people have these very basic, like, and it's so like that this becomes part of general education, just the ability to communicate with other people, the ability to be honest with other people and the ability to accept people for who they are, whether it's in the box or out of the box or in a box down the lane, like the ability to be like, oh, I have no idea what that box is, but I love it. Be you. Keep your box. Walk down the road. Katrina, you are such an inspiration. I'm so like grateful that you're on this planet and doing the work that you're doing and thank you so much for coming on the pod and happy pride oh thank you <laughs>